I wonder if you're planning any camping trips this summer. Maybe your family uh, enjoys camping. Maybe you enjoyed camping as a child. If the warmth of this weekend is any indicator, then camping in Arkansas may be best behind us or ahead of us in the fall days. We'll see. Uh, You may have a picture of what that campsite looked like uh, as you were camping as a kid or a picture of what you would like to put on your campsite if you were to go camping. And maybe those memories are why you don't go camping now. Um, But what if the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, were to set up a campsite among his people? To actually dwell in their midst? What would that look like? Uh, This is something we don't have to guess about because he tells us in the latter part of Exodus that we have been looking at over this last several months, what this dwelling would look like. Moses is receiving instruction from the Lord on Mount Sinai and the specifics of what this tabernacle and the furnishings of the tabernacle uh, were to look like and how they were to be built. So the very presence of the Holy One moving from the mountain to camp among His people. And beginning in Exodus 25, we learned about the furniture uh, within the tabernacle. And this morning we're going to uh, read about the last piece that was inside the tent in that front room, the holy place just on the other side of that veil in the tabernacle. So we'll be in Exodus 30. So I had a few chapters, Exodus 30 this morning. And I'll read the first ten verses. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them. They shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. You shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. And the parallel construction of this altar is found in chapter 37, 25 through 29. Um, but we're, going to, we're not going to read that portion. We're going to stay in chapter 30, read just a few more verses, uh, going down to verse 34 in chapter 30. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices. Stacti and Annika and Galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meaning where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. 
Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. This is God's gracious and enduring word to us, his children. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful to come to you with the offerings of our hearts, knowing that you will hear and that you will answer. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illumine our hearts, that you would give us understanding into your word, that we might know and apply this word to our own lives, walking in faithfulness and obedience to you. Lord, we do not presume to understand. We need your help. We ask that you would speak faithfully now through your servant. Block out that which is unhelpful and use your word to draw us ever closer to your heart, the heart of our God. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Where would we be without our sense of smell? Do you really appreciate your sense of smell? I think it may be one of the most underappreciated senses. I thought, you know, could I live without a sense of smell? And yeah, you could. Um, Just like if your other senses were damaged, you could uh, survive. Um, but our, our smells are pretty, in, pretty incredible. Uh, to think that our, you know, our smell receptors and our taste receptors are often triggered by each other. And this research seems to indicate with a little extrapolation that a good sense of smell can distinguish over a trillion different types of scents. And that, that's a lot of sniffs, different kinds of sniffs. Um, smell triggers memory. You, you know the smell. You could recall the smell of the house you lived in when you were five years old. Or the smell of the dish that grandma would make that you loved. Or that made you want to run away. I can still remember that the frying of liver and onions. It's right there and I want to run away from home every time. Um, as stress increases, our smell usually increases. So you may remember the smell of that accident or significant you know, life event. There's so many wonderful smells that warn us. So many wonderful smells that we enjoy. Think of some of your favorite smells. Fresh cut grass in the spring. Spring flowers. The leather of a well-used baseball glove. A new book just opened. Those are some of my favorites. We were... Uh, joking around the table the other day as a family, wondering if, if anyone had produced bacon-scented shampoo yet. I mean, we, we love the smell and the taste of bacon. Now, you, now you're not going to find that among the people of Israel. But the Lord wanted a smell to permeate the tent. So He gave instructions for this altar of incense, sometimes referred to as the altar of gold, to distinguish it from the altar of bronze. We have yet to read about that, but that was in the courtyard where they would offer animal sacrifices on that altar, but this altar, only the burning of incense, very specific incense, as it turns out. There are some suggestions as to what this altar burning with incense actually symbolized. I think there may be some, you know, some merit to the practical purpose of they're trying to cover the stench of blood and animal sacrifices and so forth, but the, the one that has the most support, the most probable picture is that of prayer. 
the prayers of the people being offered up to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. Um, we've already heard this language in Psalm, uh, Psalm 141. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. Um, in Luke chapter 1, you may recall in Luke's Gospel, Zechariah the priest, uh, this, is, this is the dad of, of John the Baptist before he knew he was going to be a daddy, and he goes into the tabernacle. And at that time, it says there was a multitude of people gathered outside praying during the hour of incense. So it seems to support this, this connection between the lifting up of incense and the lifting up of prayer before the Lord. And this picture is even clearer in Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, as the Lamb takes the scroll, here's what we read. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then ahead in, in Revelation 8, when that seventh seal is opened, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the Lord. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. That sweet aroma, prayers of the saints before the Lord Almighty. So what is the Lord showing us as His church through this altar of incense? What do we learn about Him, about our communion with Him through prayer? So the text, as we read through it, you could probably pick up the what, when, and where. And that's how I want our structure, the way we think through this. I'll give you just some few memory cues here, words to hang on. The pronouncement, uh, the what portion, the placement, and the proper use. The pronouncement, placement, and proper use show us some important things about our God and the prayer we offer. So the altar itself is a smaller piece of furniture, a smaller square standing about three feet high. Text only mentions two rings instead of four rings that we've been used to reading, probably because it was smaller, um, all overlaid with gold. So this is not your you know, plastic fold-up camping table. This is elaborate. Uh, it's ornate, fit for royalty. And just like the table with the bread, there was a molding, kind of a raised molding that went around the top of this and horns at the four corners. You can kind of picture these you know, rounded edges that sort of protruded outward, maybe like tusks. It was on these horns that the altar was cleansed. We'll talk some more about that. Uh, but another piece of furniture that, that mirrored the Lord's heavenly dwelling. Revelation 8 helps us see this. A golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the people. It's God's design. It's His purpose to receive and smell the prayers of His people. Again, God doesn't need this altar. He doesn't need the smell of incense. But He commands it. He wants this for what it shows the people, what it tells them about His character. He wants them to know that He is available night and day to receive their worship, to, to be attentive to their prayers. He's listening. He desires to, for them to come to Him. And through the prophet Jeremiah, we can hear the Lord's desire his heart for his children. He's not forsaken them. He assures them of his deliverance. And when they return, he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will, 
I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He desires for us to come to Him in prayer. And that there would be no need for such an altar or such specific instructions if this were not the case. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to, to hear what our hearts are crying, even when we're, we're crying out with words of anger or frustration or confusion. I mean, he knows what's in our hearts. He knows every word before it's on our lips. But when we come to Him in prayer, we're not only acknowledging that He exists, but we're submitting to His plan. We're admitting that He can and will do something with our prayers, a something that is good and righteous. Westminster Shorter Catechism it asks this question, what is prayer? Some of you have memorized this. The answer begins this way, prayer is the offering up of our desires unto God, for things agreeable to His will. Our desires and submission and allegiance to Him. So let's keep in mind that the Lord is never put out by how often we come to Him. How often we want to talk with Him. And He may need to move us from, from thoughts and words to actions every now and then. But He doesn't roll His eyes at our finite minds and repetition. That's an issue that you and I face. That's what we do with each other. We grow impatient quickly. We're not the good listeners that we oftentimes think that we are. But if we genuinely care and and want to show love toward each other, we're not rolling our eyes. We're listening, extending that grace that has been extended to us 24-7 by our Heavenly Father. And it's that 24-7 that's being communicated here. The priest would burn incense in the morning and the evening when uh, tending the lamps. It was a way of saying, this is ongoing. There's a regularity to this offering and a rhythm of prayer that is constant before the Lord. Uh, Pray without ceasing, says the Apostle Paul. In a different letter with all kinds of prayers and requests. There's a great power in this, we hear in James chapter 5. So are you in a rhythm of prayer? At the very least, sometime in the morning or evening, conversing with the Lord. Going into the day with Him. Closing the day with Him. Does your family enjoy specific times of prayer together? And I realize that simply being together as a family can be a battle for many of us. But how important is that time in prayer together? Nothing more important for the battles that we face every day. Verse 6 gives some specifics on the placement of this altar. Uh, Interesting, these are specifics we don't find uh, with the other pieces in that holy place. In front of the veil, in front of the mercy seat where I will meet with you. Uh, So this altar is front and center. As the priest walked into the tent, the lampstand and the table with the bread are on each side, but it's the altar of incense that's directly before him. Uh, against that veil of the most holy place. So this was as close as the altar could get to the Lord's presence. This fragrance was intended to waft and, and reach into the most holy place. It was so close to the Ark of the Covenant 
We read in, in 1 Kings 6, so this is during the day of Solomon, the construction of the temple, that this altar is actually referred to as the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. Now, it wasn't actually in the inner sanctuary, but it was that close. It was treated like, like it was. And if this altar was that close to the Lord's presence, if this incense was to be pleasing and an acceptable aroma in the Holy of Holies, then maybe it shouldn't surprise us what the priest had to do once a year. Now, verse 10 there. Every year in the Day of Atonement, which is described in Leviticus 16, either that instruction had been given or would be given to Moses soon following this, the high priest is required to take some of the blood of the sacrifice of that sin offering and spread it on the horns of this altar. It was cleansing, showing that a sacrifice had been made, that this washing of blood, the removal of of sin had been applied to this altar. It's cleansed. It was holy, set apart unto the Lord. It was a powerful picture of the only way that the Lord accepts the prayers of His people. Like the atonement cover on the other side of this veil, there was blood spread on the altar. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible tells us, there is no forgiveness of sins. If there is no forgiveness of sin, no cleansing, then there is no audience with the king. The prayer offered to him in sin is a stench in his nostrils, not a sweet-smelling aroma. There must be atonement for the Lord to receive and accept the prayer offerings of his people. Like the other furnishings in the tabernacle, the placement of this altar, the actions of the priest, they're showing us our need for Jesus. The Lord must accept us before He will accept our prayers to Him. So we come to Him through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Our sins forgiven through the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. We're washed, we're purified. Because of what happened on that atonement cover, on that mercy seat, we do have an audience with the King. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Why we can only pray in the name of Jesus. He takes our prayers before the Father. He intercedes for us, Hebrews chapter 7. And these prayers, every one of your prayers, my prayers, He presents as His very own Think how, how a king how a king would give little care to the request of a pauper, a nobody. But if the king's own son makes the request, he grants what the pauper asks out of love for his son. By faith, we're united to his son. We live in him. We have full access to God and the great privilege of prayer. Every prayer we offer is accepted. Every, every prayer we offer is shaped and offered by the Son. I think what a, what a merciful, unmerited privilege this is for us to be able to pray, to commune with our King. And we call this a means of grace, which sounds like the understatement of the hour. 
we begin to comprehend and actually live out what this means in union with Jesus. The power, the access that we have, church, that should bring us to our knees, our knees in, in worship and wonder, but also to our knees in actual prayer. The altar was, was right next to the curtain, the incense wafting into the presence and glory of God. You know, it's a simple illustration, but you think of an electrical outlet. The electrical outlet isn't the power, but there's a lot of power right behind it. And so when we you know, put in the, the plug of prayer by faith, we've accessed the sovereign power, resources of God. He will here work through the prayers of His people. And that raises a, an important question. And it's one you've asked from time to time. I think it comes naturally from a passage like this. Does God hear the prayers of all people? Um, and without trying to you know, dig too much into the minds of men and the heart of our God, the answer seems to be a yes and no to that. Our God is sovereign. He is all-knowing. He knows every thought, every word that is ever spoken. So in that sense, yes. He does hear every word, every time His name is invoked. But I think the real question behind the question is does He listen and respond with the same care and love and kindness and urgency to all prayers? And here we must answer no when considering what makes prayer acceptable to our God. The Father accepts the plea of His Son. He accepts our prayers when we approach Him in the name of Christ. The prayers of the righteous, righteous in Jesus, go straight to the throne because He does not deny His Son. He cannot deny Him. So for those who do not acknowledge the Son, who refuse to bow the knee in repentance and faith and cry out, their, their cries are to a God of their own making. It's the grace of God that unites us to Jesus, enables us to pray and cry out with an acceptable sacrifice. I mean, God knows what's in a man. He knows the heart of faith because only He can give the heart of faith. So I think of the soldier in the foxhole who's crying out, or the two-year-old who's just putting a few words together. God knows the heart. He hears the intercession of His Son by those bound to Him. And the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, interceding continually for the children of God. Romans chapter 8. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what words to say. We're incapable of even speaking, making a sound. The Spirit is praying for us, crying out on our behalf a sweet aroma to God. Bishop J.C. Ryle, he said this, the first sign of life in an infant is the act of breathing. And so the first act of men or women who have been born of God is prayer. The Lord gives them voice and tongue to cry out, Abba, Father. God has no speechless children. You and I, can, we can know all kinds of things about God. We can be deep in study. We can memorize. But if we do not talk to God, if we do not commune, talk with our Heavenly Father, we have no part of Him. 
So church family, you, you can rejoice. Really take comfort when you hear or you read that a brother or sister in Christ is praying for you. You know, I, sometimes it just rolls off our tongue, doesn't it? I'm praying for you. Well, and then we sort of, you know, it, it leaves our, our minds just as quickly because, well, that's what they do. Right? They're part of the church, so of course they're doing that. Or that's just what they, you know, they always say that. Um, and we've talked about the importance of actually doing that if we say we're going to pray. Uh, but if tr- this truly is the, the means of grace in union with Jesus that we say it is, that the Bible tells us it is, then we should rejoice and just take a, just take a huge breath of satisfaction and contentment even as we have no idea how those prayers may be answered. He cannot deny His Son. He cannot deny the plea of His children. So we've looked at the instruction, uh, the pronouncement, the placement of the altar briefly to the proper use here. The altar was most holy to the Lord, not to be used for any other purpose than what the Lord had instructed. If we Read from Leviticus chapter 10. You may recall that story of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and what happens when they offer strange fire, unauthorized incense before the Lord. It was the last thing they ever did. Um, To be used only for incense. And this specific mixture of incense, and we don't know all the spices that may have been included here, that stacti that we read about in verse 34, some type of a gum or resin that was taken from a bush. Some think it may have been a, a myrrh, a bush. Um, and that language of the next ingredient is simply fragrant drops, uh, which has been translated here as anica, uh, which, doing a little more digging, is a powder that could be scraped off of a certain clam, a certain mollusk that was found in the uh, Red Sea. It would give a very strong aroma as it was burned. And then this galbanum was a, a brownish resin taken from the stem of a plant near the Mediterranean. So this is interesting. We have ingredients from the Red Sea and near the Mediterranean, and then frankincense was uh, found most prevalently in North Africa. Um, so you think, where did they get all these ingredients? How did they have all these things? Well, we know where they came from. We know the spoils uh, that were taken out of Egypt. These spices were considered a great treasure, so we can assume that these Uh, Treasures were taken from Egypt. They had enough to burn in the wilderness until they would eventually have to trade uh, for these spices with traveling caravans. But this specific mixture with this scent was set apart to God. It's also seasoned with salt, pure and holy, verse 35, which is worth noting. Uh, Salt, we know that as a preservative of food. It was the only known preservative of food, but not incense like this. Salt is also used in the Old Testament as a symbolic preservative. One example we find in in Numbers 18. All the holy contributions the people of Israel present to the Lord I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring. So a permanent symbol of the Lord's covenant. Promises of the Lord hold true his unchanging and his purity and his holiness. Adding a little salt to this incense would show that. Now, I've mentioned some of my favorite smells. Maybe you've come up with a few of your own by now. But you know that God has a favorite smell. 
The incense was his choice scent. He enjoyed it. It was set apart for his enjoyment. Why do we make perfume or use perfume? Usually because we enjoy the scent. It's pleasant to us. And the NIV actually translates verse 38 this way. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from his people, which seems a little harsh. Why couldn't others in the camp enjoy this scent? I went to Ethiopia a few years ago. The guys I was traveling with made a point. They said we had to stop at a coffee shop and pick up coffee beans from Ethiopia. I mean, they literally had orders that they needed to take back to the States, which I just sort of laughed at because I don't drink much coffee. Um, but there's, you know, there, there's something about, you know, you, you just couldn't be found anywhere else. Uh, there's this particular blend, the coffee beans grown there. Maybe you can think of other examples of this. You know, there's just nothing like this particular barbecue. There's just nothing like this wine from this place. There's a little little pride, a little smugness that comes with that. Hey, come on in. Come on in. Yeah. Yeah, you like that? It's tabernacle scent. You won't find it anywhere else. Not even West Whittlelock. There's nothing like it. And that nothing like it was the point. this, This scent was set apart for God's Enjoyment, the very purpose he established. He was the only one to, to smell this, was to glorify him in that holy place and not to be treated as some common scent or even a special scent for the people. God is pleased with the spiritual incense, the prayers of his people. He enjoys them, he alone receives them. We don't offer this scent. We don't pray to anyone else. I don't pray to to my wife or to my children. I don't pray to deceased relatives. We don't pray to the Virgin Mary or other saints in the church. Our offering, our prayers, are to the living God and to Him alone. He alone accepts and enjoys this offering. How often do you think of, of God's enjoyment of something or someone? I think at the end of his creation week, the Lord enjoys what he's made. It's the work of his hands, his divine imprint, goodness and beauty and all that he had made. Our prayers of dependence, our prayers of, of trust and thanksgiving, our enjoyment to him. He delights in them because he delights in us, in his adopted children. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His steadfast love, says the psalmist. And again, for the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He adorns the humble with salvation. We enjoy those favorite smells and the Lord enjoys the prayers that we offer. So are are we growing, are we cultivating healthy habits in prayer? Please don't neglect this grace of God. I mean, to neglect this would be to neglect the very one who makes it possible. We can spend our days in continual conversation with our King. We should want this. It's our privilege and His pleasure to converse with us. A man known for his faithfulness in prayer, Minister George Mueller, he trusted the Lord to provide every need that he and the orphanage that that he started had. One of his biographers said that he could be heard singing this song all, all the time along with those who 
labored alongside him. I believe God answers prayer, answers always everywhere. I may cast my anxious care, burdens I could never bear, on the God who heareth prayer. Never need my soul despair, since he bids me boldly dare to the secret place repair, there to prove he answers prayer. Another short reflection this last week from a, a Puritan Thomas Manton that really resonated as I was thinking about this text. He said, in times of trouble and inconvenience, uh, frustration, sadness, this is when our senses often you know, go astray. And we start to think strange things, even about God. Even tell, tell ourselves lies about God. This, this is where the psalmist goes, you know, I, have I cleansed my heart in vain? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep praying? My prayer seems to fall on deaf ears. Is the Lord smelling this incense that I offer? I mean, you can really feel like that at times. I'm convinced in my very short span of life that it's in those times that the Lord's smell receptors are the most acute. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He may not respond in the way that we expect, especially in the timeline that we set. But He hears. He knows. He never stops responding with His grace on this journey. This, the very race of grace that we run, this is fueled by prayer. And when this race is painful, remember the finish line. Remember the crown ahead. We run for the everlasting enjoyment of our God. He's our greatest reward. So the people needed to know that the Lord desired this sweet aroma. It was important to Him. He enjoyed the smell of His people crying out in dependence upon Him. They needed to know that their prayers were accepted. He was listening and willing to answer because that cleansing blood had been applied by the high priest. That cleansing blood has been applied by our great high priest. Only in Jesus can we pray. And only in Jesus are those prayers acceptable and pleasing to the Father. God loves the smell of our offering. He loves the smell of Christ in us. Let's go to Him now. Lord, we thank You that we can come to You any time, any moment, in a moment such as this, knowing that You hear, knowing that the cry of our hearts is acceptable to You and that You delight to hear us cry out to You. Lord, may this, even this last hour of worship, in the reading and the singing and the responding, be one offering of prayer, of sweet incense before You, our God, who loves us and delights in us, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.